0: Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 42 through 52, Acts 13, verses 42 through 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, and with the holy spirit. Thus ends our reading of the word of God that cannot be ignored. May all who hear it find that they too have been appointed to eternal life. Have you ever been found yourself caught up in a debate or a discussion that seemed as if it was going nowhere? And, and the reason it was going nowhere is because the person whom you were debating just simply refused to see the truth. It's not that they couldn't see the truth. They just didn't like what the truth was revealing to them. And so they argued as hard as they could against it, even when it meant throwing logic outside, out the window. When I was a missionary in Thailand, I was a part of this Facebook group that helped me to connect with other missionaries within Thailand. And I I found this group to be very helpful as I met many like-minded Christians, like-minded missionaries who are now lifelong friends of mine. And yet somehow there was this atheistic European expat named Joe who, who... who somehow got tied into this group. He wasn't a part of this group, mind you, but yet his comments kept showing up on many of the posts within this group. And it seemed that that all that this man would do was was argue. He would point out all the, the, the supposed fallacies of the Christian faith by making these outlandish and... and in my mind, ignorant statements. And it didn't matter what the topic seemed to be, he was always there. He he would belittle the Christian beliefs as well as demean my Christian brothers and sisters. Now at the time, I was somewhat new to social media, and I found myself getting sucked down that rabbit hole that is a Facebook debate. Anybody ever been there? In an effort not only to defend the faith, but to stick up for my friends as well, I became very, very vocal. And I would waste much time debating things like evolution or the historicity of the the resurrection. And yet, no matter how effective my arguments were, or for that matter, how effective my friends' arguments were, this man would not budge an inch from his atheistic views. He would simply continue his attacks upon Christ and his attacks upon Christ's church. All in all, it was, it was an exercise in futility. It has been a, a few weeks since we've been in the book of Acts. And so before we jump in, I, I thought it would be good for us to do a, a little refresher so we can gain our footing. When, when we last left off, we, we were in the city of Antioch, Pisidia. Both Paul and Barnabas had traveled there as a part of their missionary journey. And if, if you recall, uh, these two men, they, they, they had been called by the Holy Spirit, right? To go and to proclaim the gospel message to places where the name of Jesus had yet to be preached. They had first sailed off to the island of, uh, of Cyprus. And then after they left Cyprus, they, they sailed further, getting back to the mainland where they traveled north and they finally reached Antioch, Pisidia. And there, if you remember, Luke gave us an insider's look at, at the message that Paul preached. He, he took us within the synagogue one Sabbath morning, where Paul proclaimed the gospel. Remember, Paul was asked to give a word of encouragement by the ruling authorities of that synagogue. And the message that he gave, what was it about? It was all about Jesus, right? How Jesus is the culmination of Israel's history. How Jesus was the focus of Israel at the time of his arrival. How Jesus is a fulfillment of God's messianic promises. Paul shared about Christ's crucifixion. He shared about Christ's resurrection. And how there is forgiveness of sins and freedom from the law in his name. And then he, he, he challenged these people to turn from their sins and to trust in this Jesus as their messiah. For just as Jesus rose from the dead, Christ now offers to all those who believe upon him this same victory, which is eternal life in his name. And yet Paul left them with a warning as well, that they should not scoff in in unbelief at the gospel message, lest they perish. And so we saw the, the good news about Jesus along with, with a call to to repentant faith as well as a warning against the rejection of this message. And all this leads us to our text for today where we, where we will see the results of Paul's preaching and whether or not the, the people would heed such a warning. Look at Look at Acts chapter 13 verses 42 through 44 once more. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but, but to me, it's hard to come up with a a more positive response to the gospel of Jesus than what we see here. I mean, it seems as if both Paul and Barnabas were having a huge impact for the kingdom of God among the people of Pisidia at Antioch. In fact, there, there are three positive outcomes as a result of the gospel being preached. First, this message was so well, well received that the people were were begging these two men to return the following Sabbath in order to speak to them again. I mean, have you ever had anyone beg for you to speak the gospel to them? I don't see many hands. Second, there there, there was even further reaction. Was there not? Many after the synagogue meeting had ended. Both, both Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they, they followed these missionaries in order that they might receive further news about this Jesus, further instruction. And so there were, discuss, there were gospel discussions being had even after the synagogue meeting had ended. And apparently a, a number of these who were seeking Paul and Barnabas out, they, that they had come to faith in Jesus as these missionaries. What did they urge them to do? to continue in the grace of God. And so they had received God's grace through the preaching of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And finally, the third result of all of this was was that pretty much the whole city showed up that next Sabbath. In other words, word had spread about the resurrection of Jesus and almost everyone in that City wanted to hear more about this. I mean, think about that. Could you imagine the whole city of Oxford coming here? (laughs) I don't think we have enough room for that. They probably didn't have enough room in their synagogue. They probably had to step outside. And so we see in just one week, the gospel message was having this immense impact I'm Pisidia, Antioch. And yet not all were happy with this outcome, were they? Look at the next verse. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Here we see an attack on the gospel itself. And Luke mentions that it was specifically coming from the Jews. Most likely he was referring to the ruling authorities within the synagogue. These men who had asked Paul to give a word of encouragement a week prior. But it could have been more than just the leadership, for, for as we'll soon see, there would be others who would join in the fray. But but regardless of who was involved, what, what does Luke tell us concerning their motivation behind these attacks? He says that they were filled with jealousy. That they had seen the large crowds and they grew envious of the influence that these missionaries had. Now, jealousy is always motivated by selfish desires. It is a longing to put to put yourself above everyone else, including God. Let me explain. Those who were who were leading these attacks, they were seeking out their own glory. They, they desired to have the, the ears of the people. Just like Paul and Barnabas had. They wanted to be the ones who could draw the whole city to their synagogue. They wanted to be the ones whom everyone was listening to and not these two newcomers. And this is why they reviled these men. Now, Now, think about this. If these Jews had cared more about God's glory than their own glory, well, then they would have been rejoicing, right? Rejoicing that the whole city had come out to hear God's word, to hear the message of the good news being preached. And yet their focus wasn't upon God's glory, rather it was upon their own glory. And and this is why they were contradicting everything that Paul was saying and reviling him in the process. I have to confess to you that one of the biggest struggles that a that a pastor can face is playing the comparison game, right? Comparing uh, attendance numbers to the to the church down the street, trying to determine one's success by how many seats are filled. And the motivation behind such thinking is is the same motivation that these Jews had. It is motivated out of jealousy. It is about one's own glory and not about the glory of God. I mean, seriously, if, if we are truly concerned about the Great Commission, that, then we won't care which churches are big and which churches are small, so long as the gospel is being proclaimed and people are being won to Christ. But, but when we are about our own glory, well, then numbers matter, Right? and it's no longer about winning souls for God's kingdom, rather it's about winning souls for our own kingdom. The Jews who were attacking Paul and Barnabas, they were trying to build a kingdom of their own. But in order to do so, they needed to dismantle God's kingdom in the process. And so what do we see here? We, we, we see two different kinds of responses to the preaching of the gospel. We, we see those who, who, who seem to embrace what Paul was saying. And then we see those who, who despised this man and fought tooth and nail to shut him up. Dear friends, I, I hope you realize that when you speak God's word, when, when you speak the saving message of Jesus Christ, it will garner two kinds of responses. There will be those who will welcome the message with open arms. And then there will be those who will revile it because they are not about God's kingdom, but they are about building a kingdom of their own. And because they are this way, they they can't stand this Jesus. Because Jesus is the true king. Am I right? And he will not allow his people to bend the knee to anyone but himself. Look, look, look at Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. These are the words of our Lord. Do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Brothers, sisters, know this. The gospel message is a divisive message. And if you choose to preach it, if you choose to proclaim the name of Christ, then do not be surprised when you are opposed and when you are reviled. This is what Christ has promised us. The message of the gospel is divisive and it brings about opposition. And yet this This opposition did not deter either Paul or Barnabas, now did it? Look at at verses 46 through 47. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. How are we as Christ's ambassadors to respond when accusations fly? What are we to do when, when the gospel is attacked and the name of Jesus is maligned? Both Paul and Barnabas present For us, a good model to follow. But let's consider their response. I mean, first, Luke tells us that they spoke out boldly, right? And and this is crucial because we live in a world that wants to silence any witness of Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul and Barnabas would not be quiet, instead, they spoke with confidence and with courage. And yet their bold, boldness was not was not in how loud their voices grew, rather, it, their book their boldness came from the claims that they made. They, they, they said things that are difficult to say, and yet things that are necessary to say. And this leads to the second point. These men reminded and reaffirmed, the gospel that they had spoken. They reminded them and reaffirmed to them the gospel that they had spoken. They, they, they said that it was necessary for it to be spoken to the Jews first. Being the physical descendants of Abraham, it only made sense that the message of God's saving grace that comes through Jesus, Abraham's offspring, should be offered first to the Jews. basically what they were what they were saying here was that 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 they could not be held responsible for those who have rejected this message for they did exactly what they had been commanded to do which which was to proclaim Christ to the Jews first this same burden is upon us god God has called us as his church to be his ambassadors within Oxford, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the people in our midst, and so we are to be bold. We are to be courageous in our speech because we know that souls are at stake and that only Jesus has the power to rescue But there's more. Third thing. These men then announced to these Jews what a denial of Jesus would lead to. That it is an an outright rejection of eternal life. That they will not have the the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus' name. Rather, their sins would remain upon them along with God's judgment, which is an everlasting fire. In other words, by rejecting Jesus, they have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. Let me tell you something. This is not a popular message. You're not going to want any friends by, by speaking these things. By speaking of God's wrath. By speaking of punishment in hell. By speaking of judgment. And yet, it is necessary for God's people to speak this way because it is the truth. I mean, if we don't warn the people around us, well, then are we truly loving them? If we don't tell them what will happen if they deny Christ, then do we really care about the, their eternal state. You, you see, Paul and Barnabas, they, they didn't say these things because they didn't like the, the Jews in Antioch. No, they, rather they were speaking this way out of a love for them. They, they were trying to warn these people, warn them of the, of the danger that they were placing themselves in. For they had rejected Christ, and in so doing, they had turned away from the only hope that they had for salvation. These Jews who were filled with jealousy and, and hatred were under the wrath of God. And both Paul and Barnabas were trying to warn them. And yet this warning would be their last as these two missionaries would now turn their attention upon the Gentiles, to to, to those who have been receptive to the message, to, to those who have received God's word with gladness. And this is the fourth thing that we see from these men. They were turning their gospel focus elsewhere. I don't know how long it took me before I figured out that my friend Joe wasn't really looking for the truth. I'm not exactly sure what he was looking for, but it definitely wasn't Jesus. And that that was when I decided that the best use of my time wasn't going to be spent in these endless debates. I shared the gospel with him one last time, and and then that was pretty much the end of our online discussions. Uh, And I still prayed for Joe. I still pray for him today. But I need to place my focus upon those who truly desire to learn about Jesus. Listen, Paul and Barnabas, they were on a mission. And they knew that the days were short. That they needed to make the best use of their time. And so they would not waste it by getting into endless debates and arguments with those who who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Rather, they would place their focus upon those who desired the truth, upon those who wanted to have Jesus as their king. And so they would turn to the Gentiles. Friends, know this. If you are in the gospel-proclaiming business, then you will inevitably face those who are opposed to your message. And they will try to argue with you. And they will try to slander you. And they will try to bait you into these endless discussions. And yet you must not fall into their trap. You are not to give them more time than they deserve. Yes, you are to speak boldly. Yes, you are to remind them of the gospel. And yes, you are to to warn them. But then you are to move on. For there are others who are out there who need this message as well. Those who have not hardened their hearts. Those who are receptive. Look look, look at verses 48 and 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. I mean, man, what, what a dynamic difference it is with these Gentiles. And instead of reviling and hating, we see these people rejoicing and glorifying God. And why? Because God had chosen them, He had included these Gentiles within His plan of salvation. In fact, the wording that Luke uses here is that they were appointed to eternal life. And this stands in a stark contrast to what we read earlier with the Jews. Remember what what Paul and Barnabas had said to them. They, They had told them that they had judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And so on the one hand, we have a group that rejected Jesus altogether, and it was their own doing. They had judged themselves. And yet on the other hand, we have this other group who have received eternal life. And why? Because it was appointed to them. Listen, it is God's choice who gets saved. Our job is just to preach the message. We are to proclaim this to all people. And yet the Holy Spirit, he is the one who regenerates the hearts of whom he chooses. And when it becomes evident that the Holy Spirit is moving in a person's life, then they are the ones whom we should place our focus upon. Well, amazingly, those who were appointed to eternal life didn't just live in Pisidian Antioch. For, for Luke tells us that there were people who were getting saved in the nearby towns and villages as well. And that, my friends, is the power of the gospel, is it not? It, it cannot remain in one place very long. That's not its nature. Uh, that, that's not what it does. Rather, it goes about seeking those whom God has appointed to eternal life, seeking those who are hungry for salvation. And it does it today as well. The gospel goes out seeking those whom God has chosen. And unfortunately, even when our focus is upon God's appointed ones, there will often come times when those who have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life will come after you. Look at, look at verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And here we see that once again, it is these Jews who were not happy about the gospel being preached. And we see that these Jews also had connections in high places. Did they not? They they, they spoke to the devout women of high standing, and this in turn led to the leading men of the city stirring up persecution. Now, now, what do we know about these two groups? about these women and these leading men. Well, for one, Luke Luke tells us that these women were devout, right? In other words, they were synagogue attenders. They were there every Sabbath. But they weren't just synagogue attenders, but they were also women of, of high standing. And so they had influence within the highest circles of Antioch, Pisidia, and they would use that influence to cause trouble for these missionaries. Apparently, they had they had ties to the leading men within the city. Perhaps they were their wives, or perhaps they were uh, rich widows who were their benefactors. Whatever the case, we they had they had somehow convinced these city leaders that both Paul and Barnabas were bad news. And so now we see three groups, right? Three groups conspiring. The Jews, the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city. And what did these three groups do to Paul and Barnabas? They stirred up persecution. Now Luke doesn't go into the details here. We're not exactly sure what this persecution looked like. But but, but somehow they were able to force these men out of their city. In fact, out of their district. They practically banished them. And yet before Paul and Barnabas left, what do we see the missionaries doing? Look at, look at the next verse. Look at verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And so they, they did this number, right? And then they left town. Now, now this shaking off of the dust from their feet that's a symbolic act, right? And in fact it, it was something that the, the Jews would would do whenever they left a Gentile city for they believed that the soil from such places was defiled and thus they needed this soil needed to be removed before they would re-enter the promised land. You do not want to defile, the Holy Land. Now, Jesus actually taught his own disciples to make a similar display when he had sent them off two by two. Look, look, look at the uh, the Gospel of Acts. Look at chapter ten, verses one through twelve. carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in that and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust from your town that cling to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom Sodom than for that town. Now this advice that Jesus gives to his disciples, it sounds a lot like what Paul and Barnabas were doing, does it not? And I find it ironic that, that Jesus would use this symbol that was supposed to express the uncleanliness of the Gentiles when he sent off his own disciples into these Jewish towns and villages that he was saying to that town that they were the ones who were defiled and unclean. And even more than that, that God's judgment would be upon them. And it's just as ironic in our passage today, is it not? For for it was not the Gentiles who were defiled and unclean, rather, rather it was the Jews within that city along with the high-standing men and women. They were the ones whom God would hold responsible. For in their attempts to prevent the message of Jesus, they had banished Christ's ambassadors. And King Jesus does not take kindly to such actions. God's judgment would fall upon them. And yet for Paul and Barnabas, they would simply move on. They would go to Iconium, a city that was roughly 85 miles down the road. And yet not even the banishment of these two missionaries could prevent God's kingdom from expanding, right? For there were already many within that district who were appointed to eternal life. Because Paul and Barnabas had turned to the Gentiles, God's kingdom was growing. Perhaps that's why we see such joy in the lives of these two men. Look Look at our last verse. Look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Neither Paul nor Barnabas let the rejection of these Jews damper their mood for they had accomplished what they had set out to do. The gospel had gone out to the people, and those whom God had appointed to eternal life received the message with gladness. And so it's no wonder that these two men are filled with joy, a joy that can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we too should have such joy, should we not? As we spread the message of Jesus... As we see God growing his kingdom, bringing salvation to all those whom he has appointed to eternal life. And yes, there will be times when we will encounter the enemies of the gospel. Yes, there will be times when we encounter those who will reject this message. There will be times when we encounter those who will reject Jesus altogether. And yes, there will be times when we encounter those who will bring persecution our way. And it is tragic when we do encounter these folks. Not tragic for us, mind you, but tragic for them. For they have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. But we must not get discouraged, rather, we must be bold in our speech. We must remind these folks of the gospel that we preached. We must warn them of the judgment that they are under. And then we must turn elsewhere with the good news of Jesus. Let us not linger in in endless debates with those who hate Jesus. Rather, let us wipe our feet and move on. Let us go to those whom God has prepared to receive this message. Let us go to those whom God has appointed to eternal life. That is our calling in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for your Son. And that you have given to us the testimony of him through your word. Your word has power. Power to produce faith within those who do not yet believe. Power to change lives. Power to point us to Jesus. And so we ask now that you would direct our steps as we seek to bring your message to the world around us. Help us to have discernment of when it is time to pursue, to pursue and when it is time to move on. We pray for your Holy Spirit to lead us in these things. That your Holy Spirit would lead us to those whom you have appointed to eternal life.